0: No professional intro. This is (laughs) Jacob's reboot, reimagining of season two.
1: Welcome back to Box Office Bylines, a podcast about movies, about journalism, the headlines, the deadlines, the insiders, and the train wrecks. Uh, I am Jacob Boone from Yellowknife Northwest Territories, joined as always with...
0: By... By? Tara Thorne (laughs) in Halifax, (laughs) Nova Scotia, where... The case count climbs. Yeah, let's as not talk I about that.
1: Here. Hopefully by the time this comes out, we'll everything
0: be over is it. Or I'll be dead. To... One or the other. Okay. I don't care. <laughs> How are you doing, buddy? One of the two. <laughs> yeah.
1: Having a better weekend than you. Yeah. Uh we are joined this week by a special guest, our first ever repeat guest and favorite David Fincher fan. <laughs> Senior editor at Indiegraph Media, H.G. Watson.
2: Hello. I'm so excited, even though we're not talking about a David
0: Fincher movie today. Thanks oh. for joining us, H.G. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Honored guest, Watson.
0: <laughs> what did you think of Mank? I thought it was really Oh, I thought boring. it was terrible. It was... I turned it off. Yeah, yeah it was. Wow.
2: I'm I, going to have to disown David Fincher now. Um, yeah, it was a self indulgent piece of crap. Um, and I. Felt bad I wasted time on it.
0: I have no memory of seeing it, even though I know I did. Um, I feel like it's weird that it was his dad's script and it should have been the most emotional of his films. And it was like even if it were maybe it was and that's what maybe he's bad at emotion maybe that's maybe though do you ever have you ever had to
2: do things for your
0: parents and you
2: don't want to do them but you're like (laughs) it's my parents and then maybe David Fincher's dad was like I really want you to make my script and finally he was like well I've got this Netflix deal and I'm gonna have to make a movie so I guess I will finally make my dad's script and make him happy Maybe he just felt like haunted by him or something. Yeah, this is is, like closure. He's like, I didn't do this. I need to do this for my dad.
0: Well, he should have done a better job. His dad is probably, his ghost is probably like cool. Thanks.
1: See, now I hope that in a hundred years, someone makes the movie about David Fincher's dad's ghost, haunting him to make men.
2: Yeah. Does David Fincher have kids? Like, will one of his grandkids have to make make Fincher? He has to now.
1: Sure. Uh, speaking of people that are dead, yes, there
0: a, <laughs> <laughs> a few involved. That was We're talking about <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not Mank, uh, but another classic film, 1953's Roman Holiday, starring Audrey Hepburn, Gregory Peck, Eddie Albert, directed by William Wyler, and written, um, well, it's kind of complicated. We'll get into that maybe Ooh, later. Oh, yeah. True. Uh, Sort of a reverse Princess Diaries.
0: I thought of the Princess Diaries a lot, too, <laughs> when I was watching it.
1: HG, you, this was your choice. Why this film?
0: I
2: revisited this movie recently because I had watched an Audrey Hepburn uh, biography on Netflix, which just came, was added to the service somewhat recently. And I was like one of those little girls who was really, really obsessed with Audrey Hepburn. Like I watched Breakfast at Tiffany's obsessively not understanding that it was about sex work and that there was some really wildly offensive shit happening in it um that's another subject for another time um but uh i also the other one that i used to rewatch constantly was roman holiday and it's just such like a little girl like or little person who enjoys princessy things film and i i hadn't probably seen it since i was like 14 15 uh, and this documentary made me think of just how much I loved it. So when I went to revisit it, um, I was really pleased to find that I felt like it really actually held up. Like it was still a really good, funny, sweet movie. Um, unlike, say, something at Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is, a bit yikes, sitting from here in mm-hmm. 2021.
0: Mickey Roney in that movie? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I was sort of worried about that too going in because I remember watching this um, as a teenager and, and really enjoying it and I felt like, oh, we're going to get in some weird stuff with the age difference and this young woman and probably some racism is going to crop up, it seems to, in everything we watch. Um, but it was very, it was just a lovely, lighthearted, romantic comedy yeah. in and, a beautiful city. And
2: this, to be honest, with Audrey Hepburn's career, this is the like most minimal age gap she ever played like she would go on after this to star against Freda Stair, who was like I think at the time almost 30 years older than her um literally looked like her dad through the f- film and they're supposed to be falling in love and then Humphrey Bogart which again was like oh <laughs> yikes um yeah I think actually it wasn't until breakfast at Tiffany's that she had an age-appropriate um uh, love interest
0: and this mm-hmm. wasn't as bad as I thought it was. I looked it up immediately. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. <laughs> 13 years? That's like, well, it's barely anything.
1: Okay, so how old is she supposed to be in the film? I think about 18. I had that 18. With Kate. 18. Yeah.
0: yeah. She, she was 24, but a teen. Also, we should mention it, I mean, Hepburn historians would know this, but it's her first movie. Yeah.
1: Hepheads. Yes.
0: Hepheads. <laughs> <laughs> That's me, lifelong. Hippie. So like, <laughs> like, when you think about that, it's a huge thing to hang on a person.
1: Oh my god, yeah.
0: Part wise, it's like we're on we're on location in Italy, as it says in the credits, so you know for sure this is where we did it. Major movie star, major part. She's in almost all the scenes. Um, it's a lot to put on a person. Yeah, and it was it was not only her first part,
2: but um. I almost said Cary Grant but that's not who's in this movie um (laughs) Gregory Peck he fought for her to be top build in it because he she wasn't going to be at all and he was like no she's the star of this movie Gregory Peck is uh, unless something comes out about him that I don't want to hear, he's actually one of the only old movie stars maybe ever yeah. who is an unimpeachable person. Like a... yeah, one
0: of the few people
2: who are actually good. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. From that time. Yeah. And anyway, so a huge, huge Gregory Peck crush can continue to have over here. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Audrey Hepburn's career. I mean, she had such a hard childhood. Um, she grew up, um, she had a very bizarre family life, like her, her father basically abandoned the family. They were they were royalty on one side, I believe Dutch, like like a Dutch baron, etc. Um, in the way that I don't really understand European royalty because there's so many layers to it. Um, and then the mom moved them. They thought they would be safer during World War II in Holland, which, yikes, not at all um and so one of the reasons too she was so petite and her famous figure was because she was because of malnutrition essentially from her having starved and lived through the war eating like ground up dandelions when they didn't have anything and they weren't being occupied by the nazis um so you know she went from that to eventually moving to england to ballet school and she got cast her big first huge role was as um Gigi and she got on stage in, in I think New York or the West End um, and it Colette herself saw Audrey Hepburn in a hotel and was like that's Gigi and that's 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 such a wild story it's just like you're, that shit and,
0: doesn't happen anymore I know the offering people yeah, yeah the
2: author of the book sees you and goes that's it that's who I imagined Gigi to be and and that just blows up your whole career
1: um, she famously and I'm glad you had had all that backstory so I don't have to get into that um and then famously for this film like her her camera test or whatever they left the camera going after she did her lines and she just sort of naturally chatted with the crew and her charisma and personality there helped her land the role um and it seems uh, f- fantastic that you know someone would get a career based off just sight and and a few words but Audrey Hepburn is also like, incredibly charismatic to watch and listen to and it and is understandable when you see her.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's for sure. It, again, this documentary on Netflix I watched um though a lot of this I have to say because you know, hep head for life, I <laughs> knew, but seeing it in an motion and seeing some of the footage of her that I'd never seen um you know, this is a person she could not have been anything else but a movie star. I, I genuinely right. think that she just had that sort of intangible something that there's like very small percentage of the population who do
0: end up being movie stars have. Yeah. And it's like, you can't learn it. You, you, yeah, it's innate. Yeah. And also. You won an Oscar
1: for this. Oh, she did. Role. I didn't yeah. realize that.
0: Um, but do you also think about like, the reason people don't get discovered anymore is because they are gunning for it from age four. And it's not like, oh, I'm just an attractive teenager in a parking lot. Like, that's not what we're doing anymore. It's like, no, I've been on TikTok since I was a baby, and I want this really badly. But do you ever think about all those stars of that era who all, a lot of them met tragic ends, but especially the women, um, they come from a tragic background like, like Hepburn's, and then Hollywood treated them just as bad as, you know, yeah. the war or what have you. I mean, <laughs> terrible. I, I, th- I think some of the
2: worst Examples of that are also women at that time who did really want it, right? And they wanted mm-hmm. it from four. And some of them, like uh, Judy Garland, for example, right? Yeah. She came up through vaudeville um, and was cast super young, and was, um, you know, was put on heavy duty drugs by the studio as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like the reason Judy Garland died and was an addict was because of MGM
0: right and it's heavily implied in in the biopic that came out that Renee Zellweger it's heavily implied that she was being sexually assaulted abused yeah 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 by studio dudes yeah uh yeah allegedly where that comes
2: from is she had written about it I think in a diary or in a letter to someone and this would have been I think it was Louis B. Mayer himself Mm -hmm. so like the The MJM, yeah um but like yeah, I, I don't know that it's ever been, con- like, the, authentic- the authenticity of that has ever been confirmed. Um, but again, I, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I, it's as no. rampant in Hollywood today as it was then, right? So,
0: And they had way less agency and power then, so yeah. or, or their own money or anything. So anyway, should we talk about the movie, which is very funny and very fun?
1: Well, I mean, you're saying this and there are parallels to this um princess who they literally drug at night yeah. to stop oh, her from
0: that blew
2: my going mind. Out. They're like she, it's not even she's just like crying a little and they're like, We can't
0: handle this. Get the drugs.
1: Get get the syringe full of something.
2: Yeah.
0: That took her out for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. She was still messed up when she was in his apartment.
1: But I mean that's the whole the whole film is her wanting to to have agency and, and have her own life and step outside of it for a bit before she kind of gets forced back into the role we all have to play. Mm-hmm. Princess or
0: what scuzzy you? You news Italian reporting.
1: journalist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, speaking of Gregory Pecks, so, and let's talk about journalism for a second. On um, the journalism is, podcast? I don't know. Yeah, should we? <laughs> 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 the thing that bothers me the most about the the jur- the journalism angle is that they're in Italy And the movie opens with her doing this world tour. She's like, the people's princess, everyone loves her. And he doesn't realize who she is. He doesn't know on site. Yeah, he doesn't pay attention
1: to the celeb drama. Yeah,
0: I kind of get the sense (laughs) because, you know, one of my favorite
2: scenes in this movie as an adult um, who is. Uh, at some points have to haven't had to have given an excuse to an editor um, is when he tries to bullshit his way that he went to the press <laughs> conference when he clearly has That's like great. slept through it. Cause he'd been out playing poker till like three in the morning the night before. <laughs> um, and And that definitely gave me the impression that, you know, not that he was necessarily bad at his job, but that he was definitely like not taking certain parts of it seriously. And I found it so interesting, too, because he clearly thinks this Rome assignment that he's on is like a backwater journalism assignment, like I wonder I'm like inventing fan fiction for the Gregory Peck character now, but I get the sense he probably was like a war correspondent or he was in the military and maybe he just never left Europe. Like he decided to stay and was reporting and then just didn't have enough money. To be able to get home at the time which kind of makes sense because the lira in the 50s and 60s was very devalued compared like this is not the mm-hmm. euro right it's very sure, very sure but he's not he's yeah. not
0: michael douglas and ace in the hole or whoever was an ace in the hole well, yeah Kirk like douglas. stuck no. in a yeah. podunk town he i know this say. is the crazy thing right like he is like
2: I, 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 like for me like I must get t- back to New York I know. out of this no, I, I, I I, like that. I wanna I want to go to Rome. Can somebody send me to Rome to be a reporter? Like that is the dream. <laughs> so that's what I just find so wild in this movie is when he's just like, gotta get back to New York. I, I hate it here I hate drinking wine and cappuccino and getting gelato and meeting Princess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he definitely doesn't think it's like worthy of him. Yeah. The, this Italian. Yeah, he
1: wants to get back to New York.
0: With New this York.
1: Big giant in its heyday profile. in
0: the fifties. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Baseball. Etc. Um,
1: I really appreciate it when he did realize his guest that he took home and, and was gonna put on the sofa, but she took the bed, so he took the little tiny sofa. Um when he realizes she was the princess, he asks his editor if he's fired before confirming and then pitching the story. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to give that away first.
2: Oh, um, we should so we should talk about this because I had a very interesting Twitter discussion about how much he got paid to do journalism back in the day. He says, I believe mm-hmm. so, his editor tells him it's like three thousand bucks or something. I did
1: look. I, I put these figures down. Okay. Um. So it's two hundred fifty dollars for a piece on the princess's world worldviews. So the kind of vapid profile he was supposed to do, which would work out to twenty five hundred dollars today, a thousand dollars. For her views on clothes, which is a fun joke, which would be worth $10,000 today and $5,000 for an exclusive one-on-one, uh, which would be $50,000 today for a single piece of journalism.
0: Ooh, wow, that's Taffy us or Ackner money. Yeah.
1: And that's before the like, that's just for the one-on-one interview, not the my day with the escape princess, which presumably he could have sold for a little bit more, especially those photos. Yeah.
2: So... A few weeks ago on Twitter, somebody had mentioned that when Ernest Hemingway was in Toronto writing for what eventually was the Toronto Star, he was making in the nineteen forties a dollar a word. Which Wow. Yeah. So I think I think somebody figured out like with inflation, he was basically making like $25 a word at that point. And it's just like some journalists and, and maybe again, this is why Gregory Peck wants to get back to New York were, you know, not necessarily millionaires, but thousandaires, you know, like they were like multiple thousandaires. Like I, I it just, yeah, it's, I can't think <laughs> about it. Imagine being a multiple thousandaire. A multiple thousandaire. I, I can't. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I have to not think about that too much. Um, because it, it makes me sad. And it makes me feel like that, that line from Almost Famous, you know, when they say, when, when oh, what's his face? Uh,
0: Lester Banks. Lester yeah. Banks.
2: When he tells the kid, he's like, you missed rock and roll, man. It's over. And it's like, that's I feel like Lester Banks yeah. all the time. <laughs> like, I, I missed journalism, man. It's over. Mm-hmm. I've been it doing really a lot
1: of reading about the, like, new journalism era. And I was talking to somebody about this the other day and how, you know, you could make, yeah, $25 essentially with inflation per word. You could get $70,000, $80,000 a year writing two pieces of long form journalism. And you would just send your handwritten notes to an army of editors and researchers who would fact check everything. They would fill in all your TKs for you. You didn't have to do any of that research on your own. And it would all come to and Of course, there was amazing journalism coming out of this system. <laughs> Which allowed it, and it is kind of unfair almost to think.
2: What's worse is there was also not amazing journalism coming out of the system, and (laughs) they got paid for it. (laughs) You could phone it in and just be like, I'm not doing that, and still be very comfortable. Whereas I don't sleep at night, because sometimes I worry I got a word wrong in a story I filed. (laughs)
0: Yep, sounds right.
1: Times change.
0: I really loved his hapless friend, Joe, the photographer. Mm. Yeah. And his spy technology.
2: Kept,
0: yeah, who he kept, <laughs> like, dumping things on and knocking him yeah. over. To- yeah, that was <laughs> so he didn't blow his cover. That was a great scene. That was a really fun scene. I
2: He, too, I, um, I, I can't remember him from other movies. I feel like he's definitely been in a lot of stuff. Like, he's, like, one of those sort of old Hollywood actors who crops up in a lot of things. But he has... So, I... I think there's people that have old-timey faces, if that makes sense. Like, there's some people yeah, that Yeah, could... they're
0: era-appropriate. Exactly.
2: And Gregory Peck yeah. and Audrey Hepburn are them. This guy, if he walked by me on Queen Street, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> that's, like, a cute dude. Who Like, that dude, to me, was, like, so modern. Even the way he dressed, I was, like... Something very modern about him, and like really interesting. Anyways, I, that has nothing to do with journalism. This is just me scoping. It'd be like putting two guys Pete in Davidson in Roman yeah. Holiday. Exactly. Be like,
0: no.
1: <laughs> CGI-ing him in.
0: <laughs> Ugh.
1: One of You'll my stay absolute away favorite from is... <laughs>
2: uh,
1: uh At the end, when Peck and and his friend there are like they're just looking at the photos and they're riffing on captions. Yeah. And cut lines for them. That was fun. We do that sometimes, Sarah.
0: We do, and I also actually, actually, I think my favorite moment is when they're trying to take a picture of her dancing with the barber, and he like <laughs> jumps out of the way of the camera, and he's like, "Step!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The giant
1: it's, camera that they've set yeah. up.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's super fun. Like I, I, it's interesting to think, and I mean, you're gonna tell us about why there were so many writers. It is a Trumbo. Did have you have you guys mm-hmm. ever seen that Dalton Trumbo movie with Brian Cranston?
1: No, sort of the mank of its day. That's
0: right. <laughs> it's ma- the mank of 2015, maybe. Um, yeah, um, it's it's like it's super funny and su- super lively. Um, in in a way, like these old Hollywood comedies that we see, like it feels effortless, even though there was probably a lot of effort. But it feels effortless as opposed to now, where it's like trying so hard to direct direct the laugh. Where this all came out, quite, it, call- it all comes out very natural,
2: so natural like- seeming. I don't. I don't know a ton. Um, I know like broadly the Trumbo story, but in terms of the writing of this particular film, um, is did did anyone involved in writing it was a journalist or was it just sort of that close connection between writers and journalism? Because like I I felt in terms of journalism movies, it was. A, like, you know, there's a little... Obviously, what Gregory Peck is doing is not above board or ethical in any way, but he's he's not yeah. a bad guy. The film never wants us to... And, like, he gets this really nice arc where he decides to do the right thing in the end. Um, but I don't know. I felt like the movie seemed a little in love with journalists, too. Like, it felt like... Like, I didn't feel that it was a negative portrayal. Um, and in a weird way, almost a reversal mm-hmm. of, the, of the women who... Women reporters sleeping with their sources, right? Because we have Gregory Peck, a male reporter, falling in love with who is essentially supposed to be his source.
1: They have a very chaste Hollywood kiss in the back of a cab, and that's it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it'd be different today if it was Pete Davidson Roman Holiday. They would have just oh, God.
0: God. <laughs> would be Pete Davidson
1: Ariana Grande. <laughs>
0: oh God, in, in
2: Roman Holiday.
0: So, so Jacob, you shook your head. That there, there were no journalists involved.
1: Uh, I don't believe so. No, not not in the writing. Um, the movie did spin out of, well, actually, not not in creation, but a lot of its success came from all of the tabloid fascination with Princess Margaret.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um,
1: so, I mean, there there, it didn't really go into the composition of it, but I maybe that's why there's the journalism is remembered and loved. There was actually an agreement made between Paramount and the British government that stipulated there would be no mention of a possible connection with the British royal household, which is oh. why in the opening newsreel, which, by the way, I love an opening newsreel to get us up to speed <laughs> <laughs> on any plot that should be in every movie, um, but they shot a, a scene of a crowd in London saying that she was visiting London just so that everyone watching would know she's not an English princess. <laughs> though Even
0: they though, never though actually say where she's in from. that, like... Like way that people, transatlantic yeah. way people spoke. Yeah. So right, this is,
2: this is my other fan fiction. Um, speaking of the Princess Diaries, this is Anne Hathaway's grandmother.
0: Uh-huh. What's her face?
2: I can't remember the actress's name. Julie <laughs> and Andrews. Julie Andrews. Um, this is Julie Andrews before she was Queen of Genovia. And it's her story. This is what happened to her. They don't mention Genovia in it, but it was Genovia. And then, of course, later she trains her own granddaughter and she talks about responsibility and she knows because she gave up mm. the love of her life in Rome for her responsibility. And that is my, that is my personal canon for the, for Roman holiday. It is a prequel <laughs> to the princess diaries.
0: Was it the love of her life or was it like Steve Trevor? Just like, <laughs> maybe it's just like the first one. So I, you put too
2: much on him, you know? I, I I mean, it's been a while since I've seen princess diaries, but I never got a strong impression that like. Julie Andrews loved her, her, the king in that movie. Not right. as much as she loved Gregory Peck. And maybe it's more like mean, the one no, that got away.
0: Right, yeah. Now
1: that everything's been exposed and she knows he's a journalist that she can trust, couldn't she just, like, send for him to come... Get escorted to her castle or whatever. And
2: it's the 1950s, okay. People did not have premarital sex. No one. Oh
1: no, did, one no did not, maybe, until maybe not for that. But they could sit. Yeah. And, <laughs> they could sit like 19 feet apart in a drawing room and discuss, you know, poetry.
0: That was an it interesting have moment. To be the end. That was an interesting moment too. When she's like, "I've never been alone with a man, mm. let alone naked or whatever," and it was like, ah. <coughs> it was fine yeah they had in a lot of movies it wouldn't have been fine yeah they had
2: fantastic chemistry gregory Peck and yes. I like they to the point where you're like should they date in real life like <laughs> <laughs> as if they're both alive and i could influence that
1: <laughs> audrey hepburn had fantastic chemistry with everyone the barber mm-hmm. the flower salesman every rando italian person who would just shout <laughs> words was yelling at her, at her. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is um well the Meghan Markle Harry interview was a few months ago now but that struck in my mind too of how royals get covered by the media and maybe they're tre- there's the line mentioned by his friend that princesses are always fair game that hasn't kind of changed i guess so yeah it is unethical but i could totally see you know british press doing this exact same thing
2: i think the oh, british 100%. press has done much more unethical things i'm sure i'm yeah. sure <laughs> meghan markle would wouldn't mind having a glowing portrait ever written even secretly compared to some of the shit that's been going on in the british media
0: for sure
1: well should we take a break and then discuss lots of trivia
0: oh i love old-timey movies because they have the best trivia (laughs) may i have some
2: no now look
0: this is very unusual I've never been alone with a man before, even with my dress on. With my dress off, it's most unusual. <laughs> I don't
2: seem to mind. Do you?
1: I think I'll go out for a cup of coffee. Mm. You'd better get
0: to sleep. Mm. No, no, no. On this one.
2: Terribly nice. Hey,
0: hey.
1: These are pajamas. They're to sleep in. You're to climb into them. You understand?
0: Thank you. Then
1: you do your sleeping on the couch, see? Not on the bed. Not on the chair. On the couch. Is that clear?
0: Do you know my favorite poem?
1: Ah, you already recited that for me.
0: Arethusa rose from a couch of snows in the Acroceronian mountains. Keats.
1: Shelley. Keith. You just keep your mind off the poetry and on the pajamas. Everything will be all right, see? I'll be, it's Shelley. I'll be back in about ten minutes.
0: And we're back here with box office bylines talking about Roman Holiday. Jacob, there has to be so much trivia for a movie this old.
1: Lots of backstory on this, some of which we got into. Um, so I'll just start reading. So, story <laughs> originally optioned by Frank Capra in oh. 1949, who, host, who hoped to cast Cary Grant and Elizabeth Taylor. Um, it was that, just going to be a... Sorry, sorry that would yeah.
0: have been a giant age difference too at the time. Well, it right, would have been
1: yeah. a variation or remake or, or whatever on his Oscar winning It Happened One Night, which has a very similar story. So sort of like the you've got mail to that's sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> um, however, uh, Capra's production company was beset with financial problems and he was forced to sell the property to Paramount. Where a combination of political timidity, I think this is Wikipedia writing, <laughs> um, and a tight budget prompted him to withdraw from the project. William Wyler um, stepped in, and one of the reasons Capra stepped back is Capra didn't want to work with Dalton Trumbo, who was the original writer and was blacklisted during the McCarthy era. Uh, Wyler had no problems at all working with Trumbo. Um, yeah, so Capra,
0: you tr- fucking coward.
1: <laughs> right? Uh, So Trumbo couldn't receive credit for the screenplay, uh, though it did win the Oscar for Best Story. So his friend Ian McClellan Hunter uh, took credit for the original story. He did work on the screenplay too, but he passed on the $50,000 payment. I didn't know they received a cash payment for an Oscar. Oh, for the job. I should finish reading (laughs) the sentence before. eh? Pass that on to Trumbo. um, And then Trumbo's wife, Cleo, was finally presented with the award in 1993, long after his death in 76.
0: I must have seen a restored version because he has, Trumbo has two credits.
1: Yeah, they eventually, uh, in 2002, they, they in the restored edition, Ah. corrected the credit. There you go. Uh, one of the reasons William Wyler wanted to film in Europe was because he wanted to put distance between himself and the House Un-American Activities Committee, oh. which was in, threatening to embroil him in their investigation of liberal stances in Hollywood.
0: I'm sort of uh, surprised, actually, because, you know, we're also going to talk about good night and good luck in the next couple weeks. And I'm mm-hmm. surprised that kind of thing did not get drummed up in the Trump era, like a, a committee on fake news activities or whatever. It's sort of amazing that we got out of that era without. I think I just think it's really truly happening again. Yeah, I think that's more because Trump had Twitter
2: at least for a majority of his presidency, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. if he wanted to, he didn't call- need to try it. Yeah. yeah, and he he yeah. was too chaotic for anything like a com- like an official committee, right?
0: <laughs> Fair point
1: um so because weiler insisted be shot on location that he got a much lower budget which is why the movie's in black and white not technicolor and why he had to cast an unknown actress he couldn't afford
0: wow well that
2: all worked out didn't it i do (laughs) wonder like that film would have been so incredible in technicolor i mean it's very charming that it's in black and white and and, you know nothing against black and white movies i love them but it's i think especially to that no, even to now, right, there's some scenes in that when they're doing the street photography and like, that's Rome as it is in the 1950s. Um, you're not like, unless there's, there's you know, a body of work that exists that has captured it. Um, but outside of that, there's, you know, that's it, right? So to see those images in color would have been, been really cool. And that's for sure something I wondered um, through the film. That said, I think the, the black and white definitely lends a certain charm to it.
0: I mean, there is a colorized version. But it's not but it's like fake yeah you like it's not the same yeah yeah i do really enjoy colorized
2: versions of like extremely old um images like there was one that was released recently of the lumiere brothers footage from like Mm. 1870s of a street in downtown paris it's really neat because people are looking at the camera because they're going what the hell is that thing and uh it's, it's very um again going back to this thing about people having period faces There's something to me very uncanny valley of seeing real people wearing like these ornate gowns and top hats, just living their lives. And I'm like, it's like, are
0: you guys in a movie set? What are you doing? Why are you so dressed up? (laughs) I would have had a very hard time being alive in that era.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Basically, I don't think I could be alive until Lycra was invented, and then I would (laughs) be good.
1: We mentioned it was Audrey Hepburn's first film role. Um, and Weiler said he wanted to cast an anti-Italian actress who is different from the curvy Italian stars of that era, like
0: Sophia. I hope
1: I don't mess this name up. Gina Lolo Brigida. Oh yeah, Lolo
0: Brigida. Lolo
1: Brigida. Anyways, Weiler said about his star, she was perfect. His new star had no arse, no tits, no tight-fitting clothes, no high heels. In short, a Martian. Wow.
2: wow. There what. Go. A wonderful thing to say about your actress. I'm sure that did not create any complexes for her. Um, So I will say on the fashion front, um, I think this is one of the few films where Audrey Hepburn did not work with Givenchy um, because that partnership started fairly early in her career. I think the first significant one um, is Pretty in Pink, which is... Uh, Yikes, because of the romance, but I I, I actually really love that movie because it's so beautiful, and that's like a Technicolor feast. Um, Yeah. But um, so there's that. But this was
0: Edith Head, though, so that's pretty good.
2: I, yeah, I mean, and it's it's very chic, and I think she Audrey Hepburn was responsible partially in this movie for a big trend in women wearing their hair much much shorter, because um, that's a pretty yeah. iconic makeover, almost a D makeover, right? Because she's going from the prince, the pretty princess, to like just regular girl. Um, so that's that's really really fun. Um, but what I learned in this documentary, you know, is is Audrey Hepburn was a very insecure person and it's such a hard thing to think about when you think about her being this fashion icon, this beauty icon. She found herself to be so ugly um, and would talk about this and how, um, which I, a thing I did not realize is that she was actually quite tall. She was five foot seven and that's why she couldn't really make it as a ballerina as well. Yeah. Which again, Gregory Peck himself is tall. That's why she looks so petite in this film, but I'm also five seven. I was like, that's so weird that Audrey Hepburn and I are at the same height. (laughs) Because I always think about her being like teeny.
0: You know, it was a funny moment for me is, um, so I just made a movie. Sorry uh, to keep talking about it, but I did. And one of my rules. I would would never shut up about it. (laughs) (laughs) One of my casting rules was no bangs. Like when I was casting people, it's like I had a list, but I was just like, no one with bangs is getting in the movie. So then there's this scene where she's dancing with the barber and he like parts her bangs. And I was like, Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not that I hate bangs; they just don't always age well, and they cover your face. Yeah,
1: If you have that face showed off.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh, Gregory Peck's role was originally written with Cary Grant in mind.
0: That seems right.
1: Grant turned down the role as he believed he was too old to play Audrey Hepburn's love interest. Shock. And then would play her love interest ten years later in oh, Charade. Oh
0: my god! <laughs> I mean, but
1: Charades.
2: I charades would say, looks great.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, when she's in her 30s and, I don't know, he's in his 40s, 50s, maybe it's be- But also, Charade, they have incredible chemistry. Yeah. And she makes fun of his age the entire time through that movie. Like, it works in that film. I, I love Charade. That's one of my favorite movies. So I'm not going to take any Charade slander. <laughs> uh, when Gregory Peck came to Italy to shoot the movie, he was privately very depressed about his recent separation and imminent divorce from his first wife, during shooting, though, he fell in love with a French woman named Veronique Passani, and following his divorce, they married and remained together the rest of his life.
0: So you can't be- Cary Grant.
1: Yeah. No, Peck.
0: Oh. <laughs> it's Did like, I say Grant? Sorry. No, I was like, wait a second. Oh. Cary Grant was sad. I'm sorry. We have some things to say about that. No, Gregory <laughs> Peck seems like a lovely, straight person. Um. I, it makes me, as much as
2: I wanted to ship Gregory Peck and, and Audrey Hepburn together, it sounds like he found his, like, soulmate while they were there, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Which is nice. Apparently, it was also very hot. Oh, I think I have that there.
0: Anyway, whatever. She was hot?
1: No, uh, in Italy. It was oh. unbearably hot that summer. She was probably pretty
0: hot. Yeah. I'm sure. It was the style of the time.
1: Uh, what else? Yeah, uh, we mentioned Peck wanting her to get her name above the title. Uh, Hepburn won the 1953 Best Actress Academy Award. Um, She accepted from Academy President Jean Herschelt by kissing him smack on the mouth instead of the cheek in her excitement. Minutes after accepting, she realized she misplaced the Oscar. Turns out uh, she had left it in the ladies' room. And ran back to retrieve the award to pose for photos. Very Jennifer Lawrence sort of Truly. charmingly clumsy, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Roman summer was stifingly hot. Uh, crowds swarmed all over locations, making huge impromptu audiences for the actors. Meanwhile, Italy itself was beset with clashes between political parties that resulted in strikes and unrest that threatened to disrupt production. Wow. So, actually, now if you made a movie about the filming of Roman Holiday, Mank Style... It would be fun to have all this chaos. It would be about the revolution. Yeah, yeah it'd be like Summer of Sam, but Roman <laughs> Holiday being filmed in the middle of it. Uh, because of the tremendous amount of work and the heat, Gregory Peck lost 16 pounds during shooting, which he also attributed to the fact that he only ate one sandwich during each day.
0: Hmm. What's sad
2: Was he sandwich? i'm sure they had lots of food that's a depressed man yeah is right there a, a yeah. man who's going through a divorce and just like leave me alone to eat you're my in rome leave me alone to eat my sandwich Just have a sad sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> divorce man sandwich <laughs> if the if the national had been around then he would have been <laughs> haven't had his headphones on every day eating a sad sandwich listening to the national
0: yeah totally.
1: Uh, The embassy ball sequence at the start of the film featured real Italian nobility who all donated their salaries to charity. And the reporters at the end of the film, too, were all real foreign correspondents based in Rome.
0: That's cool. Fun.
1: At the end of production, Paramount presented Audrey Hepburn with her entire wardrobe from the film, including hats, shoes, handbags, and jewelry, as wedding presents um, to... She was getting married to James Hansen, Uh, But they ended their engagement shortly after.
2: Wonder she kept everything. That'd be kind of baller move. I (laughs) I was like, I didn't like the guy, but I'm keeping the wardrobe. (laughs)
1: Uh, Also remade or kind of referenced plot wise many times over the years, including a 1987 TV movie starring Catherine Oxenberg, Tom Conti, and Ed Begley Jr. I'm assuming as the photographer friend
0: katherine oxenberg was married to a famous person
1: probably the... isn't her daughter wasn't her daughter in the nixium cult
0: <laughs> yes that's yes yeah was it casper van Dien?
1: that can't be right <laughs>
0: <laughs> hold on i've never heard of this person before. he doesn't so. count as famous <laughs> <laughs> hold on
1: you look that up um In the 1970s, both Peck and Hepburn were approached with the idea of a sequel, but the project never came to fruition. The
2: sequel is called The Princess Diaries.
1: There you go. That's it. Yeah.
2: And then The Princess Diaries 2. It's a trilogy. What happened in Princess Diaries 2? Uh, Did they go to Rome? No, they go to Genovia. Um, Okay. So Anne Hathaway moves to Genovia, and she's going to become queen. And then she has to decide, she has to get married, basically, for reasons of plot convenience. So basically, so that she can kiss Chris Pine. Who is the eventual person that she mm. that she marries? Which I mean is a pretty good deal if you have to marry someone.
0: Um, speaking of marriage, Catherine Oxenberg was married to Casper Van Dien. They have two children. Also, she is royalty herself. She's the daughter of Her Royal Highness Princess Elizabeth of Yugoslavia. Hey,
1: well, and she went
0: to, to Harvard. <laughs> Shout out, Captain Oxenbergheim. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so so remade or referenced many times, including perhaps most famously um, in Notting Hill as a sort of 90s London set version of Roman that, Holiday. Oh,
2: of course. Yeah, and Hugh Grant doesn't recognize Julia Roberts at first. Uh, I, I I love mm-hmm. Notting Hill, so that all checks out.
1: Uh, And one last bit of journalism trivia, the black ink in the Roman newspapers reporting the illness of Princess Anne is glossy and the paper is slick, indicating they are short run items from a small business style printer used by a prop department rather than a normal newspaper.
0: What nerd, what Fincher was typing that up in there? (laughs) Yeah, he was like,
1: took me out of the movie entirely.
0: (laughs) Well, I will say it's nice to see a classic that holds up, and that no woman gets hit in the face, and yeah. there's no racist content. Yeah, it's- hits
1: hits hits a dude over the head with a guitar.
0: Yeah, that's fine. That's fun. No, oh, she does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's like WWE nope. stuff.
0: <laughs> Ugh.
1: No, yeah, I'm I'm I was happy this held up. It was funny and breezy, and made me want to go to Rome
2: any yeah, kind of travel i want to go to niagara falls now like just yeah. any <laughs> i want to have my own roman holiday but in niagara falls and <laughs> instead of doing our hand in the the wish thing we go into the wax museum um yeah. and that's like where that whole flirting scene happens yeah, that
0: sounds so good. So are
1: you the princess or the journalist? The
2: journalist. So it's, I'm going <laughs> okay, to have right. to find some prince of a small country. Like, I, I wouldn't want a British right. royalty because that's, like, too much attention and pressure. I so, need, like,
0: Turks and Caicos? Yeah,
2: I need, like, a former <laughs> Soviet state where the royals are now just coming back to their money or something like right. that. Yeah, it's, that would be <laughs> ideal.
0: This also sounds Funded. like something Tara, Telefilm would fund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking for my next project. Let's do it.
1: <laughs> Niagara holiday. Brought to you by Telefilm.
0: They
2: go out for dinner at the Burger King with the Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> do selfies in front of the dinosaur park. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Protest outside Marine Land. <laughs> yeah. We would not film inside Marine Land. I'd be very opposed to no, that. No, we could not. They would not allow it. Yeah.
1: HG, thank you so much for doing this. Again. Oh
2: no, this is so much fun, and yeah, I'm glad. i glad we got to talk about something that was, um, like you said, held up really, really well. And I got to revisit uh, a film from my childhood that just makes me makes me feel
0: good, makes me feel happy. And I think I'm gonna go watch the Prince's Diaries right now. Nice. And unlike your last visit, there weren't a series of grisly murders. That we know of. Yes. In the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: What's happening outside. We yeah. Don't we know.
2: don't know what that journalist reported on next. So it's true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that would be a switch. Um, anything you want to plug HG while you're um, to our small, but hopefully loyal audience.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm on Twitter um, at HG underscore Watson. Um, I'm freelance writing. I work for a company, as you mentioned in the beginning called IndieGraph, where we help support journalists that are trying to start their own small independent outlets so if that's something you're thinking of doing uh, send me a message and I will tell you all about it
1: awesome and Tara people can find you at thorny hfx
0: correct and they can find you at rwj boone on twitter and you private message all your best jokes yeah so that's not great sorry so people need to know (laughs) you in real life to get your best content If they follow you isn't that how it should go (laughs) if they follow you they can start a friendship that
2: leads to dms yeah,
0: yeah you gotta sure. work your way in yeah. into the good jokes exactly
1: there's it's Earn like it. a sub, sub stack subscriber i was share. gonna
2: say you yeah. should think about maybe the next from the dms is a paid newsletter
1: sure yeah. i want to i want to commercialize my friendship that's right <laughs> pay me 15 dollars a month and i'll send you fun jokes and listen to your complaints
0: that's a great great value <laughs> take it from me
1: Next week, Tarot, as you mentioned, we're going to talk about Good Night and Good Luck. Which is. The Red Scare.
0: Under 90 minutes.
1: (gasps) It is. Thank you, George Clooney.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Clooney, for not trying so hard.
2: I'm going to go on an aside here. I decided to turn on The English Patient last night. That movie is two hours and 41 minutes long. I. Mm. That is Avengers Endgame level stuff. I let us normalize bringing movies back to a tight ninety minutes. This is yes, this thank is my you. Dream. This is my
0: my whole existence. My movie, by the way, hour nineteen is what we think it's going to be. Love it. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Avengers Endgame and the English Patient.
0: <laughs> the Irishman Equal of their in length day. And quality. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good um, night and good luck. Another black yeah. and white film. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, that's fun. We're having a theme. Uh, Unintentional. All right. Until then, stay between the lines and keep shipping the news. Bye.
0: Bye.